0: So the other day, I was on the phone to my car insurance company and I was experiencing the usual things, uh, which was doing something else whilst listening to them tell me how valued my call was and how they were really getting close uh, to uh, having someone come and deal with me and how my call might be recorded for training and quality purposes uh, and then bits of music and all those things. But then they started telling me something I was not expecting. And they started telling me about the future and they were really excited about it. And they're really excited about the future because, according to them, the future is driverless cars, autonomous cars. And they were were really thrilled about it. They're like, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be so much safer. It's going to be so much, uh, uh, it's going to free up some people who can't otherwise use their cars. Do you know what? We think insurance prices will go down. I was like, I don't believe that at all. (laughs) But I'm not really sure. I believe about the whole kind of driverless cars is this glorious future thing. I just didn't, I couldn't feel the same degree of enthusiasm, partly because I just wasn't expecting it from an insurance company. If you work in insurance, I guess you're not used to being enthusiastic really about anything, uh, <laughs> let alone the future. But these guys were really keen. So, but anyway, I was listening, I was like, man, I just don't, I don't share your enthusiasm on this point whatsoever. And the other day, I was reading uh, something by the writer Douglas Adams, and he observed that any technology that exists when we were born, That seems to us totally normal. It's just the way things are. Absolutely, you know, not weird at all. Anything that's invented when we were between the ages of about 15 to 35 is new and exciting and revolutionary. And we might even be able to get a career in it. Anything that's invented after we are the age of 35 is just totally against the natural order of things. (laughs) And wrong, and I don't know what. And So I think in my head, driverless cars, that's in that category. Although, probably on reflection, I wouldn't mind if some other people had to have a computer drive their car. That would be fine, but I want to drive my own car. Thanks very much. And the thing is, you're probably like, yet I'm not sure I want you to drive your car, but I want to drive my car. Because most of us prefer to be in control. Most of the time, that's what we choose. Like, would you like someone else to do this thing, driving you 30 miles or more? Or would you like to be in control of it yourself? Most of us would say, I'd like to be in control of it myself, please. Well, we're going to see how the Bible today tells us that, yes, we are in control of our life, but also, no, you're not in control of your life. Someone else is. And that's a really, really good thing. And we're starting a new preaching series today called Going Forward. That's not just because we love corporate speak. um, It's because it's a helpful way, actually, to describe the Christian life in general and Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians in particular. And that's the letter that we're going to be studying uh, this term. They were a new t- church, they just got started, and so they were all about what was next, about how to go forward. And they were also particularly interested in how everything was going to end, how the world and everything was going to end. And so they were really a forward-looking bunch, nostalgia. Well, they just didn't have any nostalgia, they didn't have time for it, because they'd only just arrived as a church. So they're all about going forward, and so Paul writes them about going forward. Now, King's has been a church since 2002, and so we've got some great things in our past, some great stuff that's happened, uh, which if you've arrived today, you don't care about at all, apart from the fact that we're here. But there's there's always a temptation for a church to get a bit nostalgic. I remember those days. Those were good days. Those were good days. But God actually is always calling us to go forward. And you can make that decision for him as a Christian. There can be a day, maybe it was today, or maybe you're at a conference or something, and God says, I want you to follow me. And you say, yes, Lord, I'm going to follow you. And then the mistake you would make at that point is to think, I've done that. It's actually following God, going forward, requires us saying yes to him again and again and again. And today's a fresh opportunity to do that. And so I think this is really important for you. If you're a new Christian, you need to know what does it look like for you to go forward. Maybe you're a more mature Christian. You've been a Christian for a while. You kind of feel like you're getting most of it figured out or you've given up trying to get it figured out. But actually, God is saying to you, I want you freshly to believe me today. But I've got things for you as we go forward. I also think there's something here really significant for you. If you're not a Christian, you're still exploring. I think there's something God wants you to realise today that's going to, I hope, help you in your journey to discover how that Jesus is real and you need to give your life to him. So God wants us to be clear on where we're going. He wants us to be clear on how we're going to get there. And today we're going to start by looking at how this is all going to be his doing from first to last. So we're going to read the story of how this church got started and why Paul wrote this letter to them. And that takes, to be honest, almost the first half of the letter. So we'll skip a couple of bits, but it's still a quite long reading. And basically, Paul is going to say to them that however much they may have felt at the wheel, someone else is really doing the driving. So we're going to start at the very start of 1 Thessalonians. Paul, Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labour of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he's chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. That's the region they were in. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come For you yourselves know brothers and sisters that our coming to you was not in vain but though we had, been, we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. And we're going to skip down to verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, because Paul then had, he preached the gospel, caused a riot, had to leave town. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labour would be in vain. But now Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. This is God's word. And that was quite a lot of it. There was a lot of action described there. A lot of people doing a lot of things. There was Paul and Silvanus and Timothy turning up in a big city. Uh, No Christians there. They're like, Let's start telling people about Jesus. There's the people who heard them, who responded with faith to their message and became uh, the Thessalonian church. And there's the people uh, who heard their message and responded with fury and started attacking them and making all sorts of trouble for them. And if you asked any of those people uh, to kind of tell you what they had done, to tell you their part in that story, they probably would have said, well, I heard this and so I thought that and so I did this and then I did that and then so and so said this and so I did this and on and on it would go. That's how we tell our stories. We say what we did and what we thought and what we believed and why that led to those actions and so on and so forth. They were making choices and decisions all the way through these events, just as we do, just as you have done today. You've made loads of decisions today and here you are. But Paul puts a frame around the story that changes the perspective of what has happened. Look how he starts and ends what we read from his letter. He starts by saying, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Then he ends the section saying for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God as we pray. Most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what's lacking in your faith. Despite all the actions of all the people in this story, the, the, the whole thing about how the Thessalonian church got started and all the drama they experienced and all the things different people did, Paul credits God with the whole thing. We can see this because he gives God thanks and because he's still praying to God. You don't give thanks to someone unless they're responsible for the thing that you're grateful for, do you? No one has ever thanked me for the sun rising. No one's ever said, Luke, great job. Love how the sun rose today because I had nothing to do with it whatsoever in case you weren't clear on that point. Similarly, you don't ask him for something unless you think there's a reasonable chance that they can give it to you. If I go to Nando's and say, Big Mac, please, they'll be like, You're speaking to the wrong person. Stop harassing us. So we give thanks to the people who are responsible for things that have happened. And we ask the people who we think can do things for those things that we want. And that's what Paul does here. He thanks God that the Thessalonians put their faith in Jesus and have kept going despite opposition. Now the Thessalonians heard the gospel and they responded. And they had to endure suffering. But Paul says, thanks be to God you did that. This means it was God's work, whoever else may be involved. And then he tells them uh, that he's praying to God that God will continue to do this for them. Everything that's going to happen for you guys, Paul said. I'm praying for you. Even though it involves Paul's actions. He's like, I really want to come and do this thing for you, which God wants to do, therefore I'm asking God to do it. And so despite all these other people being involved, for good or for bad, it's God who gets the credit for what happens. And we call this the sovereignty of God. That however free we are and however real our decisions are, God's will is freer and his decisions are more decisive. And he was before us and he will bring things all about to his end as he intends and he's working all the way through. He rules over all things and he's telling his story through us. When you read Paul's letters, you'll see this is how he thought all the time. For example, in his letters to the Ephesians, God say, uh, Paul says, that God chose all Christians before the foundation of the world and that all, of us, uh, that all of us were predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. He famously said in Romans eight twenty eight, we know that God uh, works for the good in all things of those whom he loves. This wasn't Paul's unique perspective and you read the rest of the Bible and you're like, huh, Paul's a strange guy. No, everyone thinks this throughout the Bible. The early church was so confident in God's sovereignty because they'd seen Jesus be crucified. It's like the worst thing that could ever possibly happen until they realized that it was the plan and purpose of God. And so when they preached, they said, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And when they prayed, they prayed to God, for truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. That's in Acts 2 and Acts 4, and that's how the early church thought. Jesus thought this way as well. He repeatedly tells his followers. Through the gospel, you you see him saying, I'm going to be killed and I'm going to to be raised from the dead and I'm going to return uh, to my father. This is what's going to happen. You think, well, Jesus looks like a victim uh, during Easter week. No, he's like, this is what he was expecting to happen. Actually, through the will of God, he was making it happen, even as it happened. Now, this is the greatest display of God's sovereignty in all of history. But it wasn't a surprise to any of these guys who we've just looked at because they were Jewish and they, their Old Testament scriptures told them all the time that God was in control of all things. From the most obedient to the most awful, every person finds themselves part of God's story. Now, this might start to make us feel a little bit uneasy uh, and might start to make us ask some questions that are a bit complicated. What do we do with this perspective that the Bible affirms, I'd say from first to last, when we experience life as being full of free choices? I think I didn't feel like someone was in control of my life today. I made those choices and yet you're saying that God's in control of my life. And even if we remember what you know, sciences like biology and sociology tell us about how uh, things within us and out with us affect us without us really realising it, we do still feel free. And we actually be reading God's word. There are people making choices all the time and God's telling them, this is the choice you should make. And sometimes they obey him and sometimes uh, they don't. And he says that they are responsible for the choices they make. And Jesus says, I'm coming back and I'm going to judge every decision that was ever made. So what we're doing at the moment is briefly skimming a very, very deep theological debate. You might be like, it's quite early for that and I don't want to go anywhere near it. Thanks ever so much. And I appreciate that. But, There are are some truths in this understanding of who God's sovereignty is that I just don't want us to miss. And I don't want us just to hope that they're true. I want us to see that they're true and be convinced that they're true because they're in God's word. And so that's why we're going there today. Now, we are finite creatures. We live fixed in time and space. We move through it. God made time and space. So he doesn't relate to time and space in the same way that we do. He is infinite, we're finite. So there's going to be some areas of confusion as we try and reconcile all this. So it's better, I think, just to acknowledge that that's the case. But what we can see is that God is never taken off guard. He is never at a loss for what to do. He's never confused. He's never worried. He is always working out his plan. No one gets to change his script. And because he's so good and so great, that's great news. I, I just think this, is, I, as I say, I think this is really good news. I want to give you three reasons why I think it's good news and, and how you can apply these things to your life. Firstly, God's sovereignty confirms that your desire for purpose is real. We all of us have that sense, don't we, that we, we were made for something. We were made to do things. We, we, we weren't just made to kind of drift around, that, we, that there's some purpose to our life. We want there to be meaning to our life. If we, if we say, I don't feel my life has any meaning right now, no one would ever say that in a, in a positive way. We'd be concerned if that was the case. We feel that. There's like a drive in us. There's something outside of us that we want to move towards. And there's something within us that says, let's go there, wherever it is and whatever it is. But we're also told something else in our culture and that it's that everything around us happened for no reason. It just happened. And actually what's going to happen later is it's all going to stop and there'll be nothing. And so there's no meaning to any of it. A guy called Robert McFarland is a nature writer and his latest book is called Underland and he's, he's talking about kind of you know, the really long timescales that everything's existed and all these kind of things. And he he describes the logical conclusion of this worldview with a brutality that most people avoid. He says, What does human behavior matter when Homo sapiens will have disappeared from Earth in the blink of a geological eye? Viewed from the perspective of deserts or oceans, morality looks absurd, crushed to irrelevance. All life is equally insignificant in the face of our eventual ruin." Now, very few people have the courage of that conviction, even if that's what they think. If you say, where did the universe come from? I don't know, I don't think it really came from anything. Where do you think it's going? I don't think it's going from anything. So your life is utterly meaningless and nothing matters. No, no, I wouldn't say that because that sounds awful. And something inside me doesn't want that to be true. And the reason there's something inside you that doesn't want that to be true is because it's not true. And you you were made by someone. To be part of a story. That's how God made you. That was his intention. Christianity shows us that the universe is not cold and impersonal and immoral, but it is the creation of a creator who made us to know him and to love him and to work with him, to be uh, alongside him and for our lives to be filled with meaning and purpose that comes from knowing that we belong to him and that we're part of his story. Shows us that history is a story with an author who is involved and almighty. We aren't floating in a bubble that is going to burst sometime soon. And we're not going round and round and round in circles. We are headed somewhere. That's why we feel these longings in us. That's why whether you're a Christian or not here today, you feel that there's some purpose to your life. And you'd be devastated if someone said there wasn't. The 5th century philosopher and theologian Augustine put it to God like this. He said, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. What he's saying is that God made us to quest, to pursue, to explore, to discover, because God wanted us to quest and explore and discover him. And then having done that, uh, to follow him and live with him and to live a life his way that is full of meaning now and forever. If you are looking for meaning in your life, you'll only find it in Jesus. And the sovereignty of God affirms why that's the case. That's the first thing it does. The second thing that God's sovereignty does is it should humble us. Now, thinking that the world revolves around you is not a, a way of thinking that's unique to 21st century Westerners, but we are pretty good at it. It's possibly our specialist subject. Other cultures got other things they're good at, but we're really good at saying the world revolves around us. We laugh at those who say, back in the past, they used to think the world revolved around the sun, the, or the, or the universe revolved around the earth. What fools? And now we've changed it to us. If you look at any advert, you will see it saying, you are the most important thing. What we have got will help you. Isn't it? Because sometimes you see a charity advert, and you're like, no, 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 I was, I was being pandered to. And Now you're asking me to give something. I don't want that. I, let's go back. Okay, the car advert. Great, my life will be better. Great, lovely. That's how we all advert. That's, this product will give you more health, more happiness, more success, more money, uh, whatever it is. And you know, you can even worship Jesus this way. You can just sing songs all the time about what he's going to do for you. And you can pray prayers all the time about what you'd like him to do for you. It's not really Christianity, it's more therapeutic deism. But, you know, it kind of is similar. But to put yourself at the centre of the universe is to push God aside. And you don't want to do that. I mean, you really don't. God's sovereignty shows us that he is on the throne. And the throne is the place of authority and of power and of decision and of victory, and of glory. And God is on that throne. The little pots that you've turned upside down, and are sitting on, are expecting the universe to revolve around, that is not it. It's the throne. So when we consider him in this way, when we train our thinking, to think, God, you're ruling right now. You're glorious right now. You're in charge right now. You're powerful right now. When we trammel our thinking into that, because it doesn't come naturally to us. The more and more we do that, the more we see his greatness and glory. And then we'll we'll sing more and more about this greatness. We'll sing about this glory. We'll sing just how amazing he is and kind of how pretty much irrelevant we are given how amazing he is. And he's kind of fine without us, even though he loves us. And this is incredible. And we'll thank him for everything that we get. We'll say, well, this God, this only came from, came from you. And then we'll see other things, other ways in which he's blessed other people. And rather than say, why don't I have that? We'll say, God, it's amazing that you could bless that person in that way. And in all these things, we are, we just, we're kind of enthroning him again and again and again. And As you do that, the bigger and bigger and bigger God becomes in your vision, the smaller and smaller and smaller you become. And that really is, in one way, God's intention for your life. That's what Paul does in this letter to the Thessalonians. He says, "Guys, it's amazing you've done so well. Do you know what? Everyone's talking about your faith. It's incredible. My heart's bursting. I'm so thrilled. This is so good. Timothy brought a great report. You guys are absolutely incredible. It's all God's credit." So the Thessalonians may have gone through a bit of this letter, being like, "Yeah, yeah, he's right. You know, he's right. We've been. It. it has been hard, but we're doing all right. It has been tough, but we're doing okay." Oh yeah, yeah. That's only because God's done that, isn't it? Okay, right. It, we, need, we need humbling. The Bible says that you only please God. Uh, the one God looks to are those who are humble and tremble at His word. And and uh, we don't often necessarily do that. So you want to do that, and and this is part of how you can do that by seeing that He rules over all things. Then final thing. God's sovereignty means that we can act with confidence. So Paul walks into this city of Thessalonica. There's no Christians there. And he's like, God's going to do something. Don't know what. Got some ideas, got some intentions, got some things I've asked him to do, but it's up to him. And he just starts preaching. So trusting God's sovereignty means that we know that he can work anywhere at any time. All we have to do is cooperate. All we have to do is obey. Remember in our passage, Paul calls Timothy God's co-worker. If you have a job and you have other co-workers and you realise that you are other people's co-worker, for Paul to use this phrase of God, is, it's a bit odd, isn't it? like, really? Yes. This has always been God's intention right from the start. He made, he made this creation that we would steward it for him, that we would work with him. And that's what's going on again here in the New Testament. God said, yeah, I want to work with you. And that's what he's saying to you today. God said, I want to work with you when we go to work, when we go to a cafe, when we're at home, when we come to a church meeting, God will be at work. Everywhere you go and anything you do can be a collaboration with God if you'll believe that he's with you and you will take steps of faith, of obedience, of action to trust him and say, okay, God, let's go. Again, it's a challenge for us to think this way. Uh, You might just be just aware of the massive challenges that there are in this world and you think, I can't do anything about that. And so passivity just kind of happens because you just get you, just, everything you read it, oh, I can't do anything about that, I can't do anything about that, I can't do anything about that. And so you start thinking, I just can't do anything about anything. Or you just experience disappointments in your life. You experience things that have happened that you didn't want to have happen, or things that didn't happen that you did want to happen, and you think, oh, it's easier not to hope. Yet the sovereignty of God tells us that we are God's co-workers. And So we must believe that he is willing and able to do amazing things through us at any time and even right now. Now, if you're like me, you may be a more spontaneous person. You're like, great, let's go and find out what God wants to do. I'm more of a, if God would just let me know, then I'd have confidence. He could say, this is what I'm going to do. I'd be like, great plan, let's go. But he tends not to work that way. He wants us to trust him and then see the results. He's not looking for our agreement He's looking for our obedience. Sometimes it won't take us long at all to realize what the, at least in the immediate context, what the plan of God was. It'll just, it'll be really obvious. So, for example, when I was 13, I moved to a new school, didn't want to go there, uh, but had to, didn't have any friends. And my form tutor introduced me to two guys 26 years later, we're still great friends, and they were the people who first brought me to a church like this. Very short, clear line the, the sovereignty of God in my life. I don't want to go to that school. God's like, I've got a plan. Easy. Some things in your life will happen like that. And you'll be like, I just... And then I realised after, you know, five minutes, it was a tough five minutes, but I hung on in there and believed God, and here we are. Other plans may not be quite so clear. Maybe because we're just in the middle of them still. You know, maybe you meet someone and they're like, I've never met a Christian before. You're like, huh, interesting. Well, we're going to work together, so maybe God's doing something. Or you can meet someone else and say, you know, why is it that I just keep meeting loads of Christians? You're like, I wonder... Because maybe God's doing something like that. You, we don't, you don't know if the, the thing that God's calling you to, the plan that he's about to unveil, is one of, kind of you know, spectacular, glorious breakthrough or faithful endurance. Uh, you, you don't know because you're in the middle of it. Uh, and so we, it's difficult to draw conclusions to God's sovereignty and all this kind of stuff in the middle of these things. Maybe you've got some prophetic promises but no practical plans. You're like, well, how does this, how does this happen? How do I get from here to here? Will it will it work? You don't know because you're in the middle of it, and maybe, maybe you feel like your your story has come to an end prematurely. Maybe like I had some faith, had some plans, but that's all over now. I really feel that God wants to give you some fresh hope today. You've heard it during the worship. I'm saying it again to you now: that He's not finished with you. That your life is not out with His sovereignty. He wasn't more sovereign back then and is less so now. He wants and intends to continue to work in your life. In the Old Testament, a guy called Joseph had all sorts of awful things happen to him. And when he looked back, he said, well, those guys meant for evil. God meant for good. It's difficult to know when you're in the middle of the story. But remember, you're not writing the story. Someone else is. and He's really good. He's really good at writing stories. So that's the second category. First category, really obvious how God worked it out. Second category, he's still in the middle of it and so it's not quite sure. The third category is uh, there are just things that happen that I don't expect uh, to be resolved or explained this side of eternity. I don't. Things have happened in my life, things happen in the world all the time. You're like, so how does that end? uh, God's sovereignty doesn't need to be resolved within this period of time because God is going to bring all things under Jesus' rule. That's how the story ends. And there will be justice done for every wrong thing. And the new creation that God will make and Jesus will rule over with us will outweigh all that was sad and sick in this life. And so God's sovereignty will work over all things, even those that kind of end in this life with a a question mark. So with this kind of confidence is a faith confidence but this kind of confidence uh, Paul uh, does what Jesus does actually which is he uses the image of a person sowing seed to explain how he sees God's sovereignty at work in his life and therefore why he can keep acting confidently he says in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 6 I planted, another person watered but God gave the growth he says, so this is Paul's life, he goes to some places he has a pretty rough time of it, they don't get mentioned much in Acts or at all, so be it he goes to other places and there are like chapters worth of stuff happening there Paul's like, well, my job was just to kind of sow seed. I just went everywhere I went, I sowed seed. And then what happened next was up to God. God did amazing things. So the part Paul had to play, he says, you know, I, he says it to them, doesn't he? He says, um, we know that God's chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word. Paul can do the word bit. Paul, so the sowing seed bit is Paul saying, I'm going to preach the gospel. But then Paul says, this is what happened. Power, the Holy Spirit, and full conviction. Those things are God's things. Only God can do those things. And so this is what Paul does. This is what the sovereignty of God looks like for Paul in some ways. He's like, let's see. Who knows? Gonna try again. Maybe. And then he's waiting. And so in in Thessalonica, he then suddenly goes, wow, this is God's plan. This is what God was doing. This is amazing. I love this. So his required role was obedience. And then what God does is bring the success. You're responsible for obedience, a friend of mine once told me. God's responsible for success. It's another way in which the sovereignty of God works. Like, going to give it a go and see what, what this plan was meant to be. was it meant to be? I don't really know right now. Was it meant to be like amazing right now? Was it meant to be something else? We'll find out. But you live in time and space. So it's new for us, but God knows. So you can invite someone to the quiz night. that's happening on Friday. You can tell a new acquaintance, someone you just met, and they're like, oh, well, tell me about yourself. You say, like, I'm a Christian actually. You can, when someone says, what well, you did at the weekend. There are many things you could say. You could say, I went to church on Sunday morning. You can do these things. That's like, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. In doing those things, you might discover a great plan that God's been preparing. Or you might find yourself just another chapter of a plan that's going to be unveiled later on. Either way. It's such good news that history is God's story. It's such good news because it explains the longing of the human heart for purpose. Do you need to take the next step today in finding that out? Rachel brought that word. that thing. Today's the day. I felt really fitted with this point that I had to make. Saying, Today's the day. Now's the time. Maybe you need to say, I'm going to go to that Connect desk immediately afterwards and say, Alpha Course, sign me up. I've got questions. Or you're going to say, I'm going to keep coming back. I'm going to start speaking to people here. I'm going to ask them to explain this Christianity thing to me. God, somebody also say, puts us in our proper place. Do you need to, you just need to repent. He said, God, I've been, the whole world's been around me and I, and I need my world to revolve around you. I need God for you to be in charge and, and I'm sorry for how I've been living. And it gives us confidence to obey God. Maybe God's just been stirring some fresh faith in you. Maybe even now you're still like, oh no, this means I'm going to have to do that thing, doesn't it? I'm like, yes, it does. But do it with faith, with confidence, not because the guy said so, but because God wants to work in your life. So maybe you need to say, God, today, give me now some fresh faith. I'm going to labour with you. God's calling us to go forward with him. He's bringing us. He's taking us forward. It's great to know, isn't it, that he prepared the way. And that he's going to give us all that we need to keep going with him. So, Paul finishes this part of the letter. Um, we, we, we saw him kind of saying, hey, I'm praying for you guys and then he prays a prayer and I'd and just like to pray it because uh, I think it's a lot about God's sovereignty and goodness and you might say amen to something in that and then may, maybe one of those other three points, a sense of, yeah, I need to find out more. Or I need to put God back in his rightful place or I need to start acting in faith. Any of those three things, you can say, God, I need your help with that, this. Please help me now, today. So 1 Thessalonians 3, 11 to 13. You can do whatever it helps you to say yes please to this as I read it. You can close your eyes, you can lift your hands, none of those things. Now, now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts, blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Lord, that's our prayer, that you would be sovereign in our lives, that you wouldn't be dealing uh, with disobedient people, you'd be dealing with people saying, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, I wanna go forward with you. Yes, Lord, I wanna do what you call me to do. Would we be those kind of people? Oh God, would you give fresh gifts of faith in this room, even right now? Even this very moment, even when you heard about Esme's healing earlier, like I didn't realise that could happen. It can happen because God's sovereign over ears and all other parts of our bodies. You can ask him right now with fresh faith. Gifts of faith, Lord, I ask you by your Holy Spirit, pour out gifts of faith right now. And Lord, for those people, they're like, I've just been doing this wrong. I've been singing about me. I've been thinking about me. I've been living about me. I need to start thinking about God, living for God, singing about God, talking to God about God. You just to say, Lord, I'm sorry about how I've been living. Come and take your rightful place in my throne.